Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The bipartisan plan to get our fiscal house in order. Will it work? Senator Joe Manchin. The debt of our nation is the greatest threat we have as a country. The debt. And Senator Mitt Romney join us before bringing their new Fiscal Stability Act to the Senate floor. The level of debt in our country cannot continue to go up and up and up because we're going to hit a wall and you're going to see interest rates ultimately be affected. There will be a crisis at some point. We're trying to avert that. Hollywood back to work after the Actors Union's 118-day strike. CNBC's Julia Borston. The timing of this was really essential because it really saves the summer 2024 box office. Plus, Eli Lilly joining the weight loss wars. Oh, this is a good one. Is Zep Bound. They should think about what song they can use. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. And one night in Miami, five Republicans duke it out. Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. A circus uh, would be demeaning to circuses. It's Thursday, November 9th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Anders. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee, who's with us. Becky's off today. Hollywood's actors have reached a preliminary labor agreement with major studios. The union's negotiating committee unanimously approved the deal yesterday afternoon, bringing an end to the 118-day strike. Details of the agreement have not yet been made public. Oh, a lot to talk about. Yeah, a lot to talk about. It's a big deal. Senators uh, Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin are introducing a new bill today called the Fiscal Stability Act. That almost, it's the sound of that. It's, it's so absurd to even talk about it because we're so unstable at this point. It will create a new commission of senators, House members, and outside experts tasked with finding legislative solutions to stabilize and reduce the national debt. Uh, can you say Simpson Bowles? We've tried this before. Maybe, maybe the time is ripe because uh, these senators are going to join us to talk about that bill. And we look forward to seeing both of these gentlemen and hearing about this. And we, we hope we have more luck than, uh, than last time with Simpson Bowles, which... Although, doesn't worked. it seem a little bit ridiculous? I mean, it seems like the senators and representatives should have been doing this all along in terms yeah. of being tasked to find a solution. I don't know whether they're, they're waiting for a committee to be formed, to be appointed. You know, the Inflation Reduction Act, that was a pretty funny name. And this, yeah. this to me, sounded just as... So if this were stock, just you as short it, basically. Because it marks Fiscal, mar- The Fiscal sort of Stability stock. Act. It's almost like... But that shows you where we are right now at $33 trillion. We've, uh, we've, we've overdone things. And debt to GDP hasn't been this high, I think, one other time. Right? I heard that from William Devane. Let's talk about the fireworks. Uh, talk about getting one of these things passed or anything ever happening. I, I don't know how that's going to happen, given what else is happening. Uh, some fireworks at the third Republican presidential debate on NBC last night. Five candidates squaring off with frontrunner Donald Trump again sitting out. Here was a fiery moment. There were a lot of them as Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley sparred over TikTok. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Your adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy. I should also say Vivek Ramaswamy at one point called President Zelensky a Nazi. Yeah. Um, 
the whole thing was just a uh, a circus uh, would be demeaning to circuses it, to describe uh, it that way. Not it, to mention the competing circus of I, Trump I, I nearby. The notion is that Ramaswamy is a stalking horse only for Donald Trump and that uh, it's just a, it's publicity. You know, if I like the new Twitter, I like to see some funny stuff. One of the things that was pretty good, I don't know if you saw this, she cut, I think Vivek called Nikki Haley Dick Cheney in high heels, but then said that she wasn't the only one wearing three-inch heels. And that was a right. reference to whether DeSantis isn't, has, isn't has just, heels. Is this not his, just a disgrace to you, though? Just no, absolute it's disgrace. It, it, it's politics, Andrew. It's it's yeah. not politics. It's it's okay. You can take you can hope higher country. Right, to, you uh, can hope for a the, better uh, to the gutter. I mean, right. that's what it is. It's like it's all Donald Trump's fault. He took us to the gutter first. So, you think? Yeah, I'll just say that for you, so you don't have to say it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Shares of Eli Lilly jumped by more than three percent yesterday after the FDA approved the company's uh, drug. Look at that baby, terzepatide. Or terzepatidi. No, I think it's ter- ter- Tide. It might be. Is it? You think it's ters or you think it's try? Because you never know. No, it's ters. Is it? It's, for sure. I would do 100%. it for try. I would do try because it would have You can do whatever three. you want, but it'll be wrong. <laughs> okay. You've heard of it before. Yes. Okay. Good. Terzepatide for weight loss. The active ingredients in the drug. Oh, is this Munjaro? This is Munjaro. Now, but now it's a new commercial name, Munjaro, specifically for diabetes. Well, I know, but it's the same weight loss. Okay. It's the same compound. Okay. The active ingredient that drug's already been improved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes under the name Munjaro. Let's stick with that one, which sounds like, uh, I don't know, sounds like a movie with uh, like Jumanji or something. Uh, since May of last year, Lily will market the drug. Oh, this is a good one. As Zepbound or Zepbound uh, for use by people who have obesity or who are overweight with at least one weight-related condition. Uh, the drug's list price for a month's supply would be about $1,060. <laughs> and Zepbound, or Zepbound, is an injection. That's one of the problems. Administered once per week, a late-stage uh, study found that those with obesity but not diabetes lost about 16% of their body weight at the lowest de- dosage and about 25% uh, at the highest dosage. They should, these names should be... There should be a, uh, they should think about what song they can use. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Can they just make them easier? Like O, 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 Z, yeah. Pretty, it's but pretty But they gotta come forward. up with new names that aren't already used. So it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a jumble. It's almost, you know. Do you remember the very first time that this was done, Exxon searched far and wide for a name and two X's together hadn't really been used anywhere else. So they came up with that. But you don't wanna name it one of those cars in some foreign language was, was the word for fart or something like that. Do you remember that? It was, wasn't uh, it like no, no, uh, wasn't it uh, like no go? Yeah, yeah, you got you to be Nova. careful. You got to be careful. You don't want to name, name something that, that stands for. Anyway, Eli Lilly, that chart in the extended hours doesn't tell the whole story because the stock was up more than 3%. And you know it's the most valuable. Uh, during right. the session. Yeah. Most valuable so. drug stock in the world right now. And by the way, data. the full readout of the select data in terms of the cardiovascular impact of, of Novo Nordisk's semaglutide Which is on number cardia. Two. Number two Market value. cap. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. That will be released this weekend, so there are a couple of catalysts coming. 587 up. doesn't include that move. 587 billion for Eli Lilly does not include that. And it's interesting because Eli Lilly's got a yield of 0.7%. And you think of the other Mercs and Pfizer's of the world, they're like Which bonds. Which have been dogs. They're like, yeah, but they're bonds with 5% yields. With supposedly, Except that you've been losing 
yeah. on, on the Over value time. of the actual bond. I mean, look at right. yeah, Pfizer's. A, it, that's why it has such a high yield because exactly. the stocks come down. The, F Pfizer's the at you know. 5.3 percent. It's at 30 dollars down from a high uh, of somewhere up in the 50s, I think, F almost 55. So it's at 30 right now. 30 dollars. Check out Disney in the pre-market after the entertainment giant announced. Uh, that it had beat earnings and also upped its uh, cost-cutting targets. Julia Borston sat down with CEO Bob Iger in an exclusive interview and joins us now with more. Hey, Julia. Good morning to you, Joe. Well, Disney reported those better-than-expected earnings as the company expanded its cost-cutting target by two billion dollars to seven and a half billion streaming subscriber editions of seven million were more than double expectations while the company also dramatically narrowed losses in that d to c division bob Iger telling me he expects streaming growth to continue and he sort of walked back his interest in potentially selling the company's linear networks he said they're seeing more value there than they did initially but as they look to take espn direct to consumer they say everything is on the table we have been considering various strategic options for each of our networks, not necessarily all together, but each of them. We do that as a matter of course for all of our assets because we're, we're aiming to increase shareholder value, obviously. Meanwhile, ESPN was broken out in its own sports division for the very first time, showed a 15% increase in operating income as Iger works on the future of ESPN and sports. We obviously are planning to take ESPN out on a direct-to-consumer basis. We feel great about that. We believe we have an opportunity to strengthen that hand even more by bringing in one or two strategic partners that can add either marketing support, technology support, or possibly content support. Iger struck a more bullish tone when it came to talking about advertising than Warner Discovery's David Zaslav did. Iger saying that the ad market is improving. He also talked about seeing great opportunity in digital advertising, which is obviously a big piece of the, the bundling of Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, you can find my whole interview with Iger on CNBC.com. Joe? I don't know what I'd do, Julie, but I, I, the, the positives uh, that I see, I mean, over the years, we remember all the IP that, that the companies sort of collected at what we thought were really high prices, but turned into to, to virtual bargains. But I don't know, P Pixar, I used to think of it more highly than I do right now for some reason. I, I, I think, and he said he's going to go back into the, the studio side and, and try and write that ship too. And then, you know, I think sports, how can you screw up? Sports is just the one thing we know will always be get so many eyeballs you just got but you got to figure out how to do it and who the partners would be so it, it's yeah, tough well the, but there's a lot of great stuff there yeah and the guarantee of live viewership for sports is obviously what makes the advertising piece of that um so valuable but joe we got to talk about the strike because when i interviewed Iger, uh he said look he's optimistic that there will be resolution in the strike and then within a couple of hours there was that tentative deal struck um so there is a lot of hope that the, the timing of this deal being approved now the, the national board of sag after is going to look at this uh, and vote on it on friday that there will be um, sort of progress in the ability to get shows up and running pretty quickly and also to finish up or or start working on some of these movies that are set for release next summer so the timing of this joe is really essential because it really saves the summer 2024 box office <laughs> Strikers in, in, in all industries seem to finally figure out, you know, if we really cut off 
you know, our employers at the knees, it's probably not good long term for us. I mean, there needs to be some place to strike still around the next time they want to strike. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really big question here. How is the industry going to be changed on the other side of this? Um, so much of the negotiations here were about streaming and and SAG was really hoping to get effectively a percentage of all streaming revenue. What they and they did not get that. But what it seems like they got and we don't have the details of this deal yet was bonuses tied to success in streaming, um, more akin to what the, the writers got um, in those negotiations. But I think we'll have to see how much more it's going to cost for the studios to produce content because they are paying actors and writers higher fees. And the question then, how does all of this, plus the disruption of the past 118 days that actors have not been working, how much does all that change the industry? Will we see studios going forward saying, we're going to make fewer films, we're going to make fewer TV shows? How much of a contraction are we going to see due not just to these strikes, but the overall potentially consolidation of the industry? Well, at least actors will be back at the film festivals, Julia. It was hard for me being the most, the biggest celebrity at Telluride. It was just, you know, it was difficult. I mean, I was constantly, everybody wanted a piece of me, and, you know, because none of the real, that actually didn't happen. Um, but, Joe, yeah. you're right that actors are really essential, not just at film festivals, but at movie premieres and on, on late night it. talk shows to yep. promote their content. So one reason we've seen so many films delayed from this fall to the spring is because the studios don't have the actors to help promote them. Um, and so that's one reason why having this this guarantee that or this it seems like there's going to be a guarantee that actors are going to get back to work allows the studios to make sure they have the right timeline for releases and to mm -hmm. know they're going to have the promotional value of those actors, which really can be make or break for the box office of a film. Exactly. In the film, I mean, directors just don't, there are some that have reached that level, but it helps when, helps when the actor, when the actors are there for the whole glitz and the whole, you know, the whole feeling of being at a film fest. Julia, thank you very much. Great interview. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Republican Senator Mitt Romney on the GOP's field of candidates for the 2024 election. I think Donald Trump is the prohibitive favorite, but if there's any opportunity for someone else to become the Republican nominee, uh, the field needs to consolidate. Plus, how he and Democrat Senator Joe Manchin are working across the aisle to avert a debt crisis in America. The spending is out of control, but it's everything's on the table. As former governors, Mitt and I both, and all the people who have been former governors, you have a balanced budget amendment. You've got to live within your means. Their new proposal on fiscal responsibility is right after this. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe. Wipe up to him. His mic. Cue. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Melissa Lee. Becky is, uh, is off today and you're coming in tomorrow at this point. I haven't fully decided. Oh. 75% at this point. Oh. We'll see what the last hour I'm brings. So, I'm trying so hard. Our next guests are in Washington. They're unveiling a new bill that looks to rein in the nation's $33 trillion uh, in debt. The Fiscal Stability Act from Republican Senator Mitt Romney. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin would create a commission uh, to come up with potential improvements to the long-term fiscal health of the federal government. If the commission approves legislative language, it would get faster consideration, would have privilege, in other words, uh, in the House uh, and the Senate. Wouldn't need 60 originally. It would need, need only a majority. Joining us now, Senators uh, Mitt Romney uh, and, and Joe Manchin. And uh, you guys are both kind of 
you're both kind of purple. You know what I mean? You, if there's anyone on the Democratic side, it's a little bit red. It might be Senator Manchin. Anyone on the Republican side, it's a little bit blue. It might be you, Senator. I, so that's a good start, but you're going to have to get some of the other parts of the party uh, probably on board with that. Is that possible, Senator Romney? Well, actually, there are 10 of us that are behind this legislation, as that. well Mama's as the new and, Speaker of the yeah. House. Uh, yeah, but you two today. So, Cinema's with it. Cinema, uh, Todd Young, Hickenlooper, uh, and, uh, and then you two. Mark Warner, a whole group. Yeah. 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 No, we've got a good group behind it. And the, the, you asked the question of how is this different than Simpson-Bowles. The answer is it really patterns itself after Simpson-Bowles. But the debt now is twice the level that it was during Simpson-Bowles. They were at 60 percent debt to GDP. This is 124 percent debt to GDP. So there's more urgency now. And secondly, Simpson-Bowles did not have a privileged process to get to the floor for a vote. And this mm -hmm. legislation does. So the process is better. The urgency is greater. And I think as a result, you're going to see people rally around this. But until the American people begin to think about what would happen if this debt continues to rise, why we're not going to be able to get the job done. But I think and, in this case, we got a good shot. And Senator Manton, obviously, I immediately thought I love the framework. You, you, you know, you've got leaders from from both sides are going to appoint who they think, you know, might be able to come to some type of, of agreement and then some outside experts. But the devil's always in the details. We either it's either got to be less spending or, or higher taxes, it seems like, uh, or, or some way to stimulate growth. Everything's on the table, Joe. Basically, we have mandatory spending and, and discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending, which is mandatory and non-mandatory. If you look at those categories in the last 10 years, they've all doubled. How do we how do we put non-discretionary uh, that we can't even talk about it and can't even debate it? This goes in. It's automatic. We're going to pay it. It has doubled in 10 years from 2.4 up to about 4.9, 4.9 trillion. It's just out of control. The spending is out of control, but it's everything's on the table. We'll look at non-discretionary, discretionary, and revenue. Make sure that we're basically in the ability to take care of ourselves. And as former governors, Mitt and I both, and all the people who have been former governors, you have a balanced budget amendment. You've got to live within your means. And every week we would be consulted with our financial teams and they would tell us if we're on track to be balanced, if we're on track to basically have less revenue, we had to make adjustments. So at the end of the year, it balanced out. There's no checks and balances here. And what's happening with Social Security, if we do nothing and sit back and say, oh, everything will take care of itself, people who, let's just say, get a $1,000 check right now from Social Security, my aunts or family members or whatever, uh, within 10 years, within 10 years, that's going to be cut to $800, and no one will do a thing, and they have no idea and can do nothing about it. We want to prevent that from happening. So we're putting long-term fiscal stability, 75 years of stability within our trust fund, and then 15 years to have our GDP to debt under control. We're at 124 percent. The debt of our nation is the greatest threat we have as a country, the debt. And everybody talks about geopolitical unrest and all the other stuff. Mike Mullen in 2011, my first armed services uh, meeting, Mike Mullen was asked the question, what's the greatest threat the United States faces? He didn't hesitate. He was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He said the debt of this nation will take us down before any, any adversary around the world. Gentlemen, you're, we're talking entitlement reform again here, which... Uh, as you know, is the third rail. And, you know, the president needs to sign this eventually. President Obama didn't do anything with, with Simpson Bowles. You know who the two candidates are. Uh, we don't know, but we, we, let's just, for argument's sake, let's think about who. <laughs> we, we've, the, got, the, we've got our own hopes. <laughs> let, let's, if it were as it is right now, uh, Senator Romney, it would take some convincing of, of uh, President Biden or former President Trump 
to do anything with, with entitlements. So they won't sign this. I don't care if you have privilege uh, uh, in the Senate or, or with the legislation. It would take a lot of cajoling and arm twisting to get either one of these gentlemen to finally touch that third rail, wouldn't it? Well, actually, both uh, President Biden and former President uh, Trump have said they're not going to touch entitlements. That's and the right reality mean. is not not everything is on the table because neither one of us and nobody else is talking about changing our entitlements for retirees or people nearing retirement. Those are promises made. Those promises will be kept. There's going to be no change in the entitlement program for our seniors. What we're talking about is what will the program look like for people who are today in their 20s and 30s and 40s? And do we do, do we need to make some adjustments in that area? For instance, linking it, linking the eligibility to uh, uh, the life expectancy of individuals and so forth, or giving people options as to when they opted to the program and start receiving the benefits. There are a lot of things we can do. There's a proposal put out by a couple of senators to invest in the stock market with uh, uh, by borrowing some money and using our borrowing to invest in the market and use the returns from the market through arbitrage to help pay for Social Security. Look, there are a lot of ideas out there that don't require changing our entitlement programs for retirees. And that's where both candidates for president in 2024, I think, will be able to come down. Because well, that just sounds... Bar, Joe, hey, yeah, yeah, Joe. Senator Manchin, it sounds like you're kind of parsing what the, what the two, uh, what uh, President Biden and former President Trump have said. If they said we, we're just talking about retirees right now, I, I don't think they want to touch it at all, even going into future generations, do they? Joe, only thing I can, only thing I can tell you, I've been here for 13 years, if there is something bipartisan that comes out of the House and the Senate, there's usually not a problem. There's usually not a problem. If the president, even though they might not like it, they could blame us. The bottom line is getting something out of here in a bipartisan way is a very heavy lift anymore. This piece of legislation has to have at least three from either party. So you have to have a total of seven to pass anything out of the 12, which is a majority. But three of those have to be from an opposite party. So right. it has to be bipartisan by the way it's designed and the nature of it going over. So if it starts in the Senate and goes over to the House or vice versa, this is a mirror of what the House has done. So what we're doing is basically just basically teeing it up for what the House has done. We put a few things in guardrails, but we think they're, they're in, in line with it. And now it just depends on who they appoint. So you have four corners that are going to appoint. So each corner gets to appoint four people, three members and one expert. So with the House majority, uh, the speaker and the minority, and over the uh, majority leader here in the Senate and the uh, minority, they each have four to choose from. Let's see how sincere and how determined they are to get people who really, truly want to get our fiscal house in order. Well, that's the thing, uh, Senator Romney. I mean, bipartisan, you could, you could break down each party and talk about bipartisan in each party and, and have a continuum about this wide in, in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. So if you had, I don't even know if there are centrists around anymore, but let's say you did find some centrists in, in both parties. What about, <laughs> what about the guys in, on your, in your party, Senator Romney? Think about, I know either in the House or Senate, you can think of some. Think about in Senator Manchin's uh, party, uh, what, what the extremes are. It doesn't matter if you have three guys that agree on something. That doesn't mean that you're going to get the caucus on board. Now, you're, you're absolutely right. And let's not be Pollyannish about this. Uh, we've got a crisis coming. We recognize that the level of debt in our country cannot continue to go up and up and up because we're going to hit a wall. And you're going to see interest rates ultimately be affected. There will be a crisis at some point. We're trying to avert that. As you know, under the law, if we don't avert this within the next 10 years, Social Security gets cut by 24 percent. 
So there, there are some uh, concentrating factors here that are going to come to play. The good news is if you look at what's happened in the Senate and the House and the White House over the last few years, we have been able to come together on the infrastructure bill, on the CHIPS Act, on reforming our Electoral Count Act, on marriage and religious liberty, on gun legislation. Even though the extremes were dug in on the far ends of each party, we were able to get things done on a bipartisan basis. I can't tell you that that's going to get done again. I hope it is. But what I can tell you is, if we don't try, we're going to be in real trouble down the road. And so Joe and I are working together with 10 people that are absolutely committed to getting this done. Uh, I'm loathe to even uh, talk about something other than this because we don't talk about this enough. And and, and you you gentlemen bringing attention to it is, is important. But let me just talk about something else for a second. Senator Manchin, you said something like, I said, well, we know the two candidates, and you said you're still working on that. Or, or, what, what do you mean by that? And I want to ask Senator Romney that you said, Senator Romney, that you know there's too many nominees on the Republican side. They got to coalesce around one uh, to sort of be the anti-Trump. Uh, Senator Manchin, you go first. What did, what did you mean? Well, my 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 assumption would be this: the people haven't been able to speak yet. The party, basically the Democrat Republican Party, might be set on where they're going and who they think going to be the representative, but the people haven't spoken up yet. If the middle ever would cohese around and basically say, we want someone that can take us into the future, fiscal responsibility is one thing, opportunity is another, inflation, all the things that we're fighting, energy security, border security, all of these things here, they're going to have to find basically someone who can bring people together. And if that's not what's happening and what's being produced, then the people will go differently. So we'll see. I think it's too, too early right now to right. say what will happen. But the way the party system is set up, it looks like that's the direction they're going. All right, Senator. Yeah, in my uh, view, uh, and I, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Senator. Yeah, I've said this from the beginning. I, I think uh, Donald Trump is the prohibitive favorite. Uh, but if there's any opportunity for someone else to become the Republican nominee, uh, the field needs to consolidate. And I thought we could wait until maybe February to do that. I think I'm wrong. I think we have to move more quickly than that. And I think you have to look at the numbers and say who's been rising in the polls, who's doing well in Iowa and New Hampshire, and people who have not been able to break through and move the numbers really ought to step aside and let the person who's risen uh, become the, uh, the, the nominee. Uh, uh, who's, who, who would that be? The alternative who, who, Donald Trump. Who's, who would your favorite well, be? I'm going to let other people make that assessment, right. but I think you can look at the numbers and say, all right, this is a person that's got a shot. Senator uh, Manchin, if uh, some people think an 86-year-old uh, President Biden with Kamala, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris waiting in the wings, that, that that's a, uh, a scenario that, that, that they would rather avoid. What about you? Yeah, well, the bottom line is, is that, again, the people will speak up. I think you're seeing people speaking out. I think you see the polls basically they are challenging right now. Uh, the president does some things that, that I agree with, and he's done some things I disagree with. That's with any president. But with that, the ability to lead uh, and being in that position and having the confidence of the people is what it's going to take. And that hasn't unraveled yet. I think it will. Should, right well, now, we don't have, have the a competitive confidence? race in should, the Democratic should, Party. Should President Biden, is he too old? I mean, that, that's what we're all talking about. It's the elephant in the room, Senator Manchin. Well, the conversations I've had with him have been very lucid. I don't have a problem saying that my conversations have always been good. So what people are seeing and assumptions are making, uh, they have to make that for themselves. But if they've had personal contact, then make it from that. And that, that's what yeah, it should be. I, I'd say it's not the age, it's the record, uh, which is, yeah, the rate of inflation has come down. But to the American household, they're looking at the cost of a loaf of bread at six bucks. And they're saying, my life has not gotten better under Bidenomics. That's the problem the president has. He does not have people's credibility 
when it comes to the cost of living in this country. And as a result, they want something different. So unfortunately, uh, President Biden, who is a you know, lovely person, uh, just doesn't have the record to be able to get reelected. Joe, let me just say this. You know, we have more energy. We have more energy production today than we've ever had in the history of our country. We're producing 4.6 billion barrels of oil. We're producing 37 trillion cubic feet of gas, and we have 13 and a half billion cubic feet of, of LNG going out to the market to help our European partners. We've increased and doubled basically our wind and solar capacity and increased our coal capacity. We have done everything possible to have an all, all of the above energy uh, security, and no one talks about that. We paid down $230 billion with the IRA. No one talks about that. They don't talk about environment, environment, environment. Energy security is what we have done and what we're going to continine to do. And we're going to hold our feet to the fire Senator to make sure Romney, it happens. What, what, what would you do if, if you go into the voting booth and it's uh, and those are the two <laughs> presumptive nominees? What, what, what would you what would you I mean, I, I, you don't need to tell me, you know, your personal business, but that'd be a quandary for you, wouldn't it? If it was uh, uh, former uh, President Trump versus President Biden. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's the same thing I've done in the past. I'll vote for Ann Romney, who would be a terrific president. That's a so we could all, I guess we, we could all, all do that. I, we have seen right here. You can all vote or, <laughs> yeah. or Gail Manchin, yeah. Manchin, either yeah, one. Exactly. We're okay. <laughs> we can go either way. Or, or, or Gail Manchin. Come on, Andrew. Give, give, give it a shot. Which one? Take your pick. They're both great. And, they are. <laughs> take your pick, Andrew. It's nice to see both of you. You know, we should, you know what we should ask them about? Go ahead. Yeah. We should ask them about the IRS. Yeah. Let's, okay, so, let's do Both Senators, we've been having a conversation on, around this table about uh, funding the IRS, defunding the IRS. What should really happen there? And I'm curious how you both of you think about that in the context of uh, fiscal responsibility and to the degree that we need to collect a certain amount of revenue. You know, OK, I'll, I'll just tell you this. Look, you have to have an IRS. You have to have enough agents to be able to audit people and make sure they're paying their taxes. Anything other than that is nuts. Look, there's a there's a quote by H.L. Mencken that I think applies here. He said, uh, you know, to every complex problem, there's an answer which is simple, clear and wrong. And the idea that we should not have IRS agents and that that's going to somehow help us balance the budget is sim simply wrong. Uh, we have to have enough IRS agents to do the audits, particularly of high income people, and make sure that high income people like Joe are paying their taxes. <laughs> Thank you. Let me just say this. This this. This came about truly in our infrastructure, on in our bipartisan infrastructure, uh, you know, d discussions we were having. Rob Portman, our dear friend, we all talked about different things. Rob was there and we were talking about things. The uh, IRS has not been uh, updated at all. Technology is so far outdated. We're not doing anything there. Agents were dropping off like flies. We're 75,000 people down and no one really took a look at it. And that's basically the financial arm that gives us the ability to do what we want to do and be the superpower of the world. So we start talking, okay, if we invested in this $40, million, $40 billion, what would that do? Then it came up and then we said, well, we just can't do that right now because everyone said uh, that would cause a problem on the Republican side. So we didn't do it at that time, but it was truly something we all considered. And then when it came out in the other, we knew that it would work. $80 billion, I was a little bit concerned. I thought it was more higher than what we needed. I thought in the 50, 60 billion dollar range is where it would take for us to get the maximum return. But they kept thinking every extra dollar you put into it, you'll get back. I think there's a, a, a no return, if you will, a, 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 a part yeah. of time that you put so much money in a point of no return. And right. I thought they went over that. So when they first took 20 billion out from the FRA, when the debate between the president and Kevin McCarthy, I was fine with that. 
but then they wanted to redirect it to, redirect it to something else as far as other spending. It should have been directed to debt reduction. But no one can right. ever think about that. Yeah, There's we, an extra we dollar. We, we, ever. we agree. 80 is too high, but zero makes no sense no at sense all. No sense at all. All right. Yeah, because I, I was thinking that, too, because we could wipe out the entire federal deficit if we gave, you know, 20 trillion to the IRS and got six that we'd there have 120 go. trillion. Be perfect. We don't need your commission. Yeah. Right. There's a there's a sweet spot. There is a sweet spot, of course. Yeah. And you have to have an IRS. You have to do enough audits that people recognize they got to pay their taxes. We should make it easier to file taxes, though, too. I don't know how we do that, but we'll never do that either. We just yeah, you know. No, no, that no, Joe. That Andrew, that will be done, and basically with the new technology, people can do it probably on their uh, iPhone. The way they're trying to mechanize this thing and change it through technology, I think, is going to be tremendous. That's what we invested in. We're down to 59. So when they keep saying 80, $80 billion, it's 59 billion right now. Okay, okay. it's down right. to 59, and we're well, in that spot. You start taking more away, then it's going to be detrimental. Well, we'll be watching Fiscal Stability Act. I'm just interested in who gets picked and everything else. It'll be, uh, it'll be, it'll be. We are interesting. too. <laughs> it'll be, <laughs> it'll be interesting to watch. Senator Romney, thanks. Senator Manchin, always, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks. Uh, both for joining us. Great conversation, gentlemen. That does it for us. Yep. Comes right. Well, we're going to come no, back. No, we're going to go to the street. Uh, our friends are walking the street we're tomorrow. Out of here. We get off early. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of our show when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. 